As we get going today, we've got an exciting Easter season is quickly emerging here. It is on April 4th. If you are here in the room, we've put a bunch of these inviting cards. They're in the seats there. Take one, invite somebody. There's more out in the lobby. And, and whether here or at home, uh, an online invitation is so easy to do right now. You can email or text somebody our YouTube link and uh, just say, hey, check out our Easter service. Come in, watch it from home, invite them to watch it from your home. But there's so many more ways for us to connect to people uh, with the online or in-person option. So I encourage you to use that, these cards, or send somebody a message. Let them know you'd love for them to be here. And then uh, this week, I was walking through the church. When I kind of get tired of being in my office and get a little antsy, I'll come and I'll do some figure eights in here. And uh, we've got lots of church security footage of me doing laps around the sanctuary and uh, just making sure it works. But, um, but then I just saw the baptismal, and that thing has been dry for a whole year. And the Lord said, let's open that up. Let's open that up. So we've got, we're planning to fill it on Easter Sunday. If you'd like to be baptized, if right now you know you're going to be baptized, let me know. There's also on our website, northwestschurch.com, scroll down. We have some buttons of spiritual steps you might want to take and get baptized as one of those buttons. And there's a registration process, and that will come to me and we'll connect with you. But uh, we are going to be ready for baptisms, ready for people to make that public statement. I follow Jesus. I trust Jesus. I want to publicly identify with the Lord Jesus. So we'll be ready on Easter. Let me know if that's something you're interested in. And then one more thing coming up this Saturday is, the, is round two of our outreach, the Grab and Go Breakfast. We partnered with the Bridge Church, and it's, just a, it's an outreach to this Birchwood neighborhood where we're situated. If you would like to be a part of it, it's, we're doing it the last Saturday of each month, or we're doing a three-month trial to see how it goes. So that, if you want to be a part of it, again, northwest-church.com, and there's a service page where you can scroll down and connect and let's let our outreach deacon, Lynette, know that you want to be there, and she can assign you a task and a time and get all that to you. But we're just continuing to reach out and want to bless this local neighborhood. And that's what we've been in this series about love. We want to love our community. We want to love our neighborhood well. So we're going to continue that series today. And, and we start with this thought. All good things must come to an end. Have you ever said that? Ever thought that? Have ever told somebody that? All good things must come to an end, right? There's a moment when you have to leave Disneyland. It's over. The rides are done. You got to leave. The planes are coming. No more Disneyland. No more Mickey. No more party all the time. You got to go home. Isn't that sad? Don't we want it to last forever? But it can't last forever, right? A few weeks ago, we planned a birthday party for my 12-year-old, and it was small, just two friends coming over, but he planned, and we're going to do this and this, and we're going to decorate, and we're going to have a, one of these exit games. I don't know if you've ever done those. It's a little box, and you have to solve it to get out of your room. I was like, I don't know if he's ever going to get out of his room. Are they going to solve the, the cues? We'll be pushing bread under the door, but they solved it. But uh, they, they planned all this stuff, and uh, then the next day, he was so tired, so exhausted, and at bedtime, he was like emotional from the, he said, it just, it just happened so quick. I just didn't want it to be over. You know, there was so much buildup and then it's gone, right? You know, you prepare for something and you're excited and then it lasts so short. It just can't last forever. But today we're going to talk about something that can. 
There is something that lasts forever. There is something that doesn't have to stop. There is a good thing that keeps going. You with me? Love. The greatest thing, love, it never ends. It doesn't run out. You don't have to go home. You don't have to leave Disneyland. The love of God never ends. And so we're going to see this today. We're in 1 Corinthians 13. That the greatest thing, which is love, we're going to see that, it never ends. It will not cease. A lot of the other things we experience are going to stop, but that won't stop. So let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been inching our way through this passage, so if you've got a Bible or a digital Bible or there's Bibles right in front of you there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to do verses 8 to 13. We're going to finish that chapter today. love for you to read along. If it's your Bible, write right in there. If you're at home, get up, get one, or turn your phone on, turn off all other alerts, all other social media feeds, you're locked in. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. So I'm going to read the whole part we're going to cover today, and then we'll go back and piece it together. Love never ends, right? Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's take a look at that. Let's let's look at each little part of that, that love never ends. That's what I said. The greatest thing, love, it never ends. Love isn't going to stop. Love doesn't have a termination point. And so what what we're going to see here is Paul's going to walk us through, Paul's the writer, he's going to walk us through several things that we experience in life that do end, very good things, and he's going to contrast that with, with love which does not end. So love never ends it never ceases it never dies it never fails so first it says as for prophecies they will pass away a lot of times you see that word prophecy and you immediately think someone telling the future but prophecy is simply inspired speech so it doesn't have to be telling you the future it can be forth telling or truth telling this moment is a moment i don't usually use the word prophesy but i'm using inspired speech, the Word of God, to communicate it to you. So that's what's happening now. So there's prophecy happening. I'm not telling you the future. I'm not predicting events. We're forth telling the inspired Word of God. So he says that's actually going to stop. It's not not that they're going to pass away. They're going to be stopped. There's a moment coming in the kingdom of God when someone doesn't have to teach you the Word anymore because you'll be there. Someone's not going to have to explain it to you. Someone's not going to have to alert you to it because you'll be there. It's going to stop. It's going to be unnecessary in the kingdom of God. As for tongues, they will cease. So there's a couple ways people take this, and we're not going to get into uh, any wrestling matches today. But there's tongues in the terms of a heavenly prayer language, and there's tongues in the terms of other languages that you don't know. 
You know, for example, if you were to fly to India and you don't speak Punjab, right, that's a tongue. You don't know Punjab. Maybe you do. Um, so the whole idea here is tongues, other languages, wherever they orig- originate, need an interpretation, need translation. Right now, currently, we support a Bible translator in northern India named Tongi Chongte, and she is translating God's word into languages. It's not just a language that doesn't have a Bible. They're languages that have never been written down. They have no alphabet. So she creates an alphabet. She creates a written language for a people group that has never had one, and then she translates the Bible. I don't know if you remember this. She was here years ago. She's like this tall. She's brilliant. She's got all these degrees. And we asked her, I said, how do they know how to read it? If they've never had a written language, how do they know how to read it? Anybody remember that? Was anybody here? And she said, they just do. Because it's their language. And they've spoken it their whole life. And when you write it for them, she said, they just know how to read it. They just do. It still blew my mind. No one had to teach them? No, they just know how to read it. And so she's translating the word of God to them. There's a day coming when that will be unnecessary. Because there will be one heavenly language. Right? There's a story in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, when God divides mankind and he confuses the languages and they can't speak together anymore. There's a day coming when God undoes the confusion. It was sampled at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit pours out and people from all these countries show up and it says they were hearing God's word in their own tongue. That was foreshadowing and foretasting when the kingdom of God comes in fullness. You will understand. There will be a heavenly language that you will, no one's going to need to translate it to you anymore. That day, so love never ends. The whole need to translate into other languages, we're not going to need that in the kingdom of God. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It doesn't mean we're going to be a bunch of idiots in heaven and we don't know anything. It's the idea of the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of knowing God. If you look at these three things together, right? Prophecy, someone foretelling you God's word. Tongue, someone translating it so you can understand. Knowledge, you learning and seeking. It all has to do with the desire right now to know God, to teach God, to communicate God. All that's going to be unnecessary in the kingdom of God because you will know God, you will see God, you'll understand him, you will hear him. So he's comparing... Love that we have right now never ends. But these other things that are very important to us right now, they don't need to go on forever. Look at the next verse, verse 9. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Right now it's not clear. Do you read the Bible and you go, oh yeah, I understand everything perfectly. It just makes total sense. Yeah, I know why God said that. I read the book of Revelation. I understand what these crazy images. I know exactly what that means. No. If someone tells you they do, they don't. It's confusing. It's like, why that? What is this metaphor? Why did God say that? Why did he do this? We don't know. We can know many things, but it's unclear. Yesterday, we were driving down south, and I don't know if you've ever driven in these conditions here, where the road is gray, and the sky is gray, and then the water coming off the road is another shade of gray. And you're like, all I see is gray. And the windshield wipers weren't very helpful because it was more mist than rain. Like, I just don't see very well. Yes, I'm traveling at 70 miles an hour, but I can't see very well. That's kind of what it's like. We don't have a clear picture. We don't understand everything God's doing and everything that's planning. We don't understand how it's happening right now. We have his word, but we don't have everything. He hasn't told us everything. He's told us what we need to know. 
He's told us what he wants us to know, but we don't know everything. We have a part. We only know part of it. We only understand some of it. It's kind of gray. But when the perfect comes, that means complete, mature. That's what that word means. When something comes to its full end, when it fully comes, when the kingdom comes, all this stuff where we're trying to figure it out and trying to understand and teaching and translating, we don't need that anymore. Okay, that's what he's saying. But love, that's, you experience God's love now, that doesn't stop. These other things that are important, they're going to stop. We're not going to need them. So now he's going to give two illustrations. He's going to illustrate exactly what he's been saying about something that's in one state now and later will be in a different state. So the first one, verse 11, is that comparing the difference between a childish thinking and adult mature thinking. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So he's comparing those two things, right? What is that? The insurance company knows about this. When does the male's insurance rate go down, right? 25, when they stop doing wheelies in the neighborhood, like maybe we'll lower your rate, right? Some wives are praying for this. I can't wait for my husband to give up childish ways. Lord, can you answer that prayer? But anyway, um, the difference between how a kid thinks and how an adult thinks is, is the illustration. I remember being a kid. We lived in Portland, Oregon. We had a freestanding wood stove in the house, not an insert, and, and, my, and this, I was probably under five. And my parents said, don't touch that. Hot. And one day I laid my full palm on the top of it. Because kids don't, well, maybe it's hot. What does hot mean? I better find out. And I just seared that baby. And I remember we were going to church. I have an image of me standing in the lobby of Temple Baptist Church in Portland holding the drinking water button on my burning palm, just standing there because it was just still just standing there in the drinking fountain. Now, when someone says, Ryan, that's hot, I don't have to put my hand on it. I'm like, I'm good. I have mature adult thinking. I'm not going to test that. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to put my hand on that. I know. The point is, when you're a kid, you have childish, immature, dumb thinking, and you put your hand on hot things. When you're an adult, you can reason. And the comparison is, that's what it's like when the kingdom of God comes. It's the like from what you thought as a four-year-old to what you think as a 34-year-old vastly different thinking. When the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be like an advance like that. It's going to change. Verse 12. So that was illustration one, the difference between immature and mature. And this one has to do with this thing about mirrors. Verse 12. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The first image that came to my mind were those public bathroom mirrors. You know the public bathroom mirrors where they're not actually a mirror? It's like some kind of metallic thing. I think it's because you can't shatter it and you can carve and you want it all you want. But you really can't see. You know, like it's like I'm kind of in there. I see some, but it's not a real mirror, right? It's this metallic parks thing. So that's what, that's what comes to mind. But what's interesting is that's not actually the word. For now we see in a mirror dimly the word actually means a puzzle. It's where we get our English word enigma comes from this, this word. Or a riddle, a conundrum, something you can't figure out, something you can't solve. So it's really, it's less about I look in a dirty mirror or a fogged up mirror. The word is more like now we see in puzzles. We see in riddles. We see in parables. We see in images. It's not, it's not spelled out. Now we see in enigmas. 
So he says, now we see in a mirror dimly. We see in puzzles. Now, if you were writing the, the illustration, this is what I think you would put. Now we see dimly, then we will see clearly. Wouldn't that make sense? I'm not, I'm not dogging on the Apostle Paul here. Don't, don't, don't get me in trouble. <clears throat> now I see dimly, then I see clearly. But he doesn't say that. Now I see dimly, but then I will see face to face. Well, wait. That's, that's not what I would think. And so what's going on here? These two concepts, puzzles and face-to-face, are triggering us to another story. The way these are put together, these, these link us to an Old Testament story, which is going to make this make a lot more sense. The story's in the book of Numbers, if you want to go there. It's the fourth book in your Bible. Exit, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers, chapter 12. So let's hear some pages turning. Um, and so here's the context, because we're going to come in the middle of the story. The context is God has called and grown a nation of people, and he's called them out of slavery, the story of Moses leading this nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness. And at one point, I don't know if this ever happens in your family, but you got, I don't know if you remember, Moses has siblings. Did you remember that? He has a brother and a sister along on this journey, and do you know which birth order Moses is? Anybody know? He's the baby. He's the youngest, right? He's got an older brother and an older sister. And um, so at some point, I don't know if this ever happens at your house, but his brother and sister said, hey, how come you're in charge? Who made you the boss? How come you get to tell me what to do? You're the youngest. You don't tell me what to do, don't we hear from God? Why do you tell me? Does that happen at your house? Who put you in charge? So that happens. They start complaining and they start saying, Moses, what we can hear from God too. And, they're, and so then dad comes home to settle it. I don't know if you ever had that. Well, wait till your father gets home. Here we go. Numbers chapter 12, verse 5. And the Lord came down. All right, All right you want to know about who I'm going to talk to? The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. So we're not talking about some talking cloud here, right? We have the angel of Yahweh, who I think is pre-incarnate Jesus, right here. He's standing there, and he called Aaron and Miriam. You know that call when dad was like, you and you, come here. God's like, you and you, come here. Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So when God speaks to prophets, he gives them visions, dreams. The Bible's full of them, right? He gives them to Pharaoh. He gives them to Daniel. He gives them to Nebuchadnezzar. He gives them to the the apostle John. And there's all these images and beasts and animals. You're like, what is going on? I speak with them in a dream. Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Now you have to read the rest of the story at home if you want to know what he did to them. But did you catch those words? It's the same word, riddles. That's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13, puzzles, riddles. It's the same word. So I think Paul is taking us to this story. He says, I don't speak to him in riddles. I don't give him these visions. I don't give him crazy animal dreams. I just talk to him Mouth to mouth, face to face, and he sees me clearly. 
Let's go back to 1 Corinthians, verse 12. What's it say? Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now we understand God in puzzles and riddles and it's not clear, but then you're going to see him. I think that's the image Paul's pointing to. Just like Moses had this unique opportunity to talk to God face to face and not be melted into the floor, when the kingdom of God comes and you arrive in heaven, you get to see him clear, not in a puzzle, face to face. Look at the next part. Now I know in part, right? I, I don't have the full story. Then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So it's this picture, God knows you. God sees your heart, your mind, thoughts. Psalm 139 says that God knows every day of your life before one came to being. It's in his book. It's already written. He knows everything about you, your thoughts, your days, your plans. And it says, but when the, when the fullness comes, it says, I will know fully just like he knew me. Just like the clarity God has into my life, we'll have clarity to him. Is this getting good or what? Is this getting exciting or what? First, let's do a couple more to, to flesh this out. First John chapter 3. It's almost to the end of your Bible. Going to the right. First John chapter 3. He's going to tell us the same thing. First John chapter 3. You're going to your right. It's almost the end of the Bible. Not quite. First John chapter 3, verse 2. I'll give you a second to get there. So we got some good stuff going. We're going to see him in the fullness like he sees us. 1 John 3, 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Just like Moses saw God, he beheld the form of God. Someday, when Jesus returns or when you arrive in heaven and meet him, we don't know what it's like right now, but when that comes, you're going to see him. And it's going to be clear, and you're going to know it. And it's not going to be a riddle, a puzzle. It's not going to be confusing because you're there. That's sounding good. One more, one more. Last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. This is the last chapter of the Bible, the last vision, looking into the kingdom of God, looking at the throne of God, and we see this same story repeated that we saw in Numbers, we saw in 1 Corinthians, we saw in 1 John. Now we're going to see it's the same writer, John, writing in the future. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Remember where that tree was before once? Remember that? It was in the Garden of Eden and God put a flaming cherub sword around it so they couldn't eat it. So we die, but here we don't die. There's the tree of life. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine being in a place where there's nothing accursed? Like you can't even go through a day without an accursed thought, an accursed Facebook feed, an accursed newsreel, an accursed tragedy in our community. But in the kingdom of God, there's nothing like that. Nothing accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. 
Here we go, verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That doesn't mean he's like, you know, gets out a sharpie and marks you up. It means his claim, his ownership of you, his name is on you. All through the Bible, God, his name is, that's even one of the names the Hebrews call him, the name. That's just what they call him. The name, the name, the authority, the power of God is on you. A lot of us wear different names. We wear names of guilty, shameful, fearful, lost, burdened. That's not your name there. No. You have the name of Yahweh on you, the name of the resurrected Jesus on you. This is pretty powerful, isn't it? That's why it says the greatest thing, love, never ends. Right now, in Christ, God loves you. And all this other stuff we do to learn the Bible and share the Bible and teach the Bible is not going to be necessary because when the kingdom of God comes, his love goes on forever and you stand in front of him and you see him, not in a puzzle, not in a rizzle, not in confusion, face to face, and his name is on you and you're with him forever and nothing accursed is there. And that sounds pretty good. I've got Fonny fist pumping in the front row here. I like it. She's like, yeah, let's get there. I just want to make sure we're clear. It's not automatic to you. It's not automatic. This is only for those in Christ. You must receive Jesus Christ. You must accept the love of Christ through the sacrifice of Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. You have to receive the love, the gift of the Son, that starts at the cross and goes to eternity. If you don't, then you get nothing of what I just said. You do not get his name on you. His wrath goes on you. You are not invited into his kingdom. You are away from the presence of the Lord. You are away from life. You go where everything accursed goes, into the lake of fire, hell. That's not where you want to be. It's only applied to you when you receive it by faith. And so I just wanted to pause this moment in the sermon and just say, if you're hearing my voice in this room, on this, this video playing, You need to repent and turn to Christ. You don't get to walk into heaven apart from that. You don't get to receive any of these blessings we just described apart from Christ. You must put your faith in him. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you in the middle of your sin right now. It says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's the opportunity we have right now. To put your full faith in Jesus Christ right now. You can stop the video at home and just say, I'm talking to God about this. I want you. You can tune me out for the rest of this moment if you need to pray and talk to God. But this whole picture, the eternal love that never ends, that brings us into his presence, is yours as a gift in Christ. But you've got to receive the gift. Please do it. Please do it. All right, let's finish the passage. There's one more verse. There's one more verse, verse 13. 1 Corinthians, go back there, 1 Corinthians 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So now, faith, hope, and love. So, what we've just, let me just put this piece together. He said, love never ends, and then he went through this whole list of things that end, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, and then he went through all these illustrations, and so you could, you could really insert the word, meanwhile... Until then, 
So for now, right, we just went through this whole journey of things that end and things that don't end. And, but for now, until the kingdom of God comes in fullness, until you see him face to face, until these events take place. So for now, three things, faith, hope, and love. That's what we've got to hang on to. You have faith in Jesus. You have to do your hope and expectation in him. And you keep loving him like he loves you. But then he says, but the greatest is love. The greatest is where we get, the word actually is the mega M-E-G-A, mega, the greatest, the most massive, the great. That's why I said the greatest thing, love, never ends. So why is love greater than even faith and hope? If you were here a few weeks ago or saw the video, I, I looked at verse 7, which sets this up for us. If you just look up at verse 7, we covered this a couple weeks ago. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I made a little graphic of it. I'll show it to you. I showed this a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is the picture of love. When you're in the structure of love, when you're under God's love, it's like this roof, the building we're in, the roof wherever you are. Love bears and, and endures. Those are the pillars. These are the beams holding it up. We, we continue to love God even when things are hard. We continue to love God even when the world's shaken because we love him and he loves us. But then it said, love believes. That's the same word for faith. When you love God, you trust him. You trust him. So love believes. Love trusts. And then it said love hopes. Hope is a, a, a confident expectation of the future. So all that to say, Paul showed us in verse 7 that love actually incorporates faith and incorporates hope. So that's why he says these three, faith and hope, remain. But love is actually the greatest because love has faith and hope in it. Right? Love already believes and love already hopes. So that's why the greatest thing is love because it includes all those pieces. When you love God, you trust him. And when you love God, you have your hope and expectation on him. And we just saw the love never stops. You're not going to need faith in heaven. He's right there. You can just see him. Right? You're not going to have to hope for his future. You'll be in the future. Right? So the those three are incorporated in love, but love is the one that goes on forever. You'll be in his presence, beholding him, loved by him, loving him back. You won't need to study. You won't need someone to translate it. You'll just be there enjoying it. So the greatest thing, love, which includes all your faith and all your hope, it never ends. It never stops. It all comes to you through Christ, and you're with him forever. So our opportunity is to put all your trust and hope in Jesus and then to carry it out. Take this eternal love and start living it now. Living it in your home. Living it in your community. Living it in your workplace. And people are hungry for it. There's a lot of conflict and frustration and disunity. And love can cut through that. I'll tell a story that just jumped out at me this week. Um, some of you have known for, we have a team of people doing outreach at Sunset Pond. There's a group of folks living in the park down there, and so we've gone since November, once a week since November, and it's been a slow building trust, and then we started saying, hey, we're going to do a discovery Bible study where you just open the Bible, read God's Word, answer questions. They're super simple, but it's inviting people who are in a rough place to interact with God's Word, so sometimes one person sits down with us, sometimes two, sometimes it's different people. And we've got hot coffee there and some hot soup. Some of you have made some of those things. And um, 
And so it's been amazing just to do. It's slow. It's, it's, it's unique work. But um, there's this one gal who was there right when we started. And she was one of the first people we reached out to in a little tent. And I shared the three circles with her, which is a gospel presentation. And she was tearful and, and seemed interested and then just gone. Tent gone. She's gone. And a couple of weeks ago, she came back. She's in a tent. And she looks terrible. I don't, there's no other word for it. She looks terrible. She's not that old. Um, but it's not just like physically. She just looks emotionally and spiritually crushed and defeated. And yes, there's substance abuse issues. And I don't know all the things. She just, you can just see the weight of it on her. And she, she has not come out of her tent and joined our circle. Um, she's not hostile or mad. So we've brought coffee in, into her. But this last week, Crystal just went over to her, and she sat on an uh, egg, or not egg crate, milk crate, milk carton, right in front of her tent. She didn't go in her tent. She just sat right on the entrance, and she reviewed one of the stories we've done, which is Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It's the story of the sinful woman. It's the story of this woman from the street comes in and is wetting Jesus' feet with her hair and pouring perfume on them, and, and all the people at the table are judging Jesus. Do you know who's touching you? Look, this is a sinful woman. And, and Jesus says, she's forgiven. And Jesus said, she loved much, and her faith has saved her. So Crystal's sharing this story. She can hear her crying in there. I want to know that there's value for her. But what was amazing, there's another guy down there, and he's never sat. I don't, I don't even think I've ever seen him sit down. He's just like a bee. He's all over the place. And he's talking, and he's kind of friendly, but kind of not. He's really protective. And when we got there this last week, he had a trunk of a car open. He's like cartoon style, winging stuff everywhere. And he's just just really active. And um, so he's buzzing around. But it's his tent. And before, like even when you get near it, he's like, all right, you have to stop there. Or don't go over here. I will go talk to them for you. He's kind of like a guard in a way. So we've been very respectful of him. Like, okay, that's fine. So all of a sudden, he comes up behind Crystal when she's sharing the gospel. And she said he leaned down and pressed a kiss. She had a stocking hat on. But she said, I could feel him kiss the top of my hat and say, thank you for sharing God's word with her. And then he was right back off. And there's, I don't know what it was. He's never sat down with us. He's never told us his story. He never stops more than two seconds. I think he sensed that God's love was being shared in that moment. And he was thankful for it. And so there's this beautiful picture when you're sharing God's love, there's a hunger for it. There's a desire for it. And it cuts through boundaries and it cuts through difficult situations. And I don't know what's going to happen with this lady in the tent. I don't know if she'll be there this week. I don't even know. But I know they were sensing the love of God. They were experiencing it. And this guy who never even stops just sensed that moment like, wow, someone is loving her right now. So let me just encourage that we can all, whatever your circumstance, wherever you're at, there's people around you who could just use just the love of Jesus. It's going to go on forever. You could start sharing it with them with a, well, I don't know if you can smile at them, but you can eye smile, you know, however you eye smile. We can't mouth smile yet, but uh, you can let them know somehow. You can talk to them. I'm thinking of you. Um, I, I care about you. Can I help you? Because God's love goes forever. And let's share it now. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, I just pray for, I just pray for these people living 
out there. Their life is a mess. And you can reach them. But then I pray for people living in comfortable housing. Their life can be a mess. <laughs> Lord, our life can be a mess. Lord, I just pray for your grace to flow. I pray for any who have heard this in this room or on this video that they would turn their full heart over to you. And Lord, I just pray for, uh, for us to continue to extend your love through the breakfast Saturday, through wherever you send us this week, whatever person we encounter, that we can extend this overwhelming love that goes on forever. Thank you that we can be in it now. And we just thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wrap up, we've got another one of our community partner videos to show you today. Every week we've been showing a different community ministry partner. And again, the idea is not to overwhelm you, but just to say there are all kinds of ways that we can extend love in our community through ministries that are happening right now. So this is, a, this is the one from Skookum Kids. <laughs> 